Okay, so welcome to Health, Wealth and Happiness. I'm James. I'm Joe. Welcome to the show. How do you go from working in UK national security and counter-terrorism to being the go-to name in luxury property in Dubai? Hopefully his next next guest is going to shed some light. So Instagram sensation, vlogger, new father, co-founder and MD of luxuryproperty.com. Andrew Cummings, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, it's uh, beautiful sunny weather outside here in Dubai. Uh, obviously not allowed to go outside, but uh, you know, it would be a, a, a bonus if it were the case. But at least I'm sort of trying to keep my tan topped up. I'm sure our audience are intrigued, as am I, to be fair, about your background. So what's the story? Sure. Well, uh, growing up, uh, I was always a nerd, always interested in, uh, you know, international affairs, politics, everything like this. Um, Went to university and uh, ended up doing a degree in biochemistry for some reason. Um, Just sort of, you know, don't know why. Definitely within about five minutes realized I don't want to be a biochemist, but it's a good degree to have on your CV and, you know, you can get a good grade. It's handy to get employed. So did that. And then, um, was going to join the police um, and like they have like a high potential development scheme thing that I was eyeing up and then my, my best friend sort of said that's not really what you want to do why don't you go do what you want to do um, so I went back to do a master's in terrorism and security uh, which was much more my area of interest um, I'm assuming counter-terrorism uh, well, no, the masters was in terrorism. So, uh, okay. I love, I love, I love you know, the, the threat rather than the. All right, the, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I sort of went, did did my, did my masters in that, and then I applied for a thing called the civil service uh, fast track um, in, the, in the British government. So it's a highly competitive scheme to uh, get on. So basically, they're sort of fast track. They get about okay. twenty thousand applicants every year. I think they take. 100, 200, something like that. I'm genuinely no clue how I got in. Uh, I'm Northern, so maybe it was a diversity issue or a mistake in the paperwork. Where are you uh, from? Uh, I, I'm, well, I'm from, my family's from Grimsby, but you know, if I'm speaking to most people, my family are from Lincolnshire, so it sounds okay. a little um, I was about to say, you've not kept the Grimsby accent. <laughs> I think I like... I, definitely Northerners can still spot the fact that I, you know, I say bath, I say glass, I still do that. It sounds like you dodged a bullet anyway. Yeah. So it's my, something. my wife, who's from Surrey, basically, my <laughs> daughter, that, you know, she, she hopes that she gets her genuine accent as opposed to my fake posh accent. So I think uh, that's... Uh, that's basically what I'm sort of hoping for. I think we'll, we'll, gang, we'll gang up on Joe today then, Andrew, you and I. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Years right. of... <laughs> sort of you know, whittles it away over time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went into I went into this um, uh, this fast track scheme, and I just done this you know, uh, you know masters in terrorism. I was like, great, what am I going to be doing? And the, the genius of the British government actually put me into the Department of Transport. Um, so uh, my first job was um, I did a few months uh, in the team that does the presidency of the EU when we were doing that back in the day. Um, and then my and, and then a few months later, I went into the highly exciting world of parking. So I was actually in the traffic management division of the Department of Transport. Super sexy uh, work uh, in the British government, and exactly really where my live streams were going uh, for. <laughs> that, I bet that wouldn't you some friends down the local pub. Well, uh, interestingly, one of the things that I did when I was there is I helped write the statutory guidance that banned uh, clamping on, on, on certain public roads. So I feel as if I did 
some good uh, there. Uh, the the um, Robin Hood of the of the parking world is that what is that what it were? <laughs> yeah, look, it's a it's a heavy place to work. It's hot. It's sexy. It's just it's just good fun. Um, my uh, my boss at the time, lovely lady, was sort of nearing sixty, just wanting to retire, and had this sort of young, energetic guy who just wanted to like rule the world, and effectively just said, "Yeah, you go chair all these meetings. You go do this." So. From a skills perspective, it was a great experience in terms of broadening my skill set, but obviously not where I wanted to be. So from, from there, I then moved over to, uh, um, to the Treasury, uh, where I worked in the, um, uh, the, 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 basically the financial crime unit that dealt with uh, anti-money laundering. But I focused on both uh, sanctions um, with, with places like Iran and, um, and uh, effectively counter-terrorist asset freezing. So that was where I first sort of got involved in the in the counterterrorism side. And then from there, I went on to, I was heading up a team that was dealing with the prevent agenda. So counter-radicalization, de-radicalization. And then from there, I got into the job that I, I really loved, which was, um, uh, which was basically heading up the Middle East, North Africa and North America team within the National Security Council um, for, for the Prime Minister. So that was, wow. that was the fun stuff. Um, it's, yeah. Bit, yeah. Bit Imagine weird. that being very interesting. Yeah, look, look yeah, like it, it, it was super, Super cool, but also super boring. Ultimately, you're still a bureaucrat. You're a civil servant, and uh, it's a bit weird. But, you know, a huge privilege to be able to have done a number of the things I've done, you know, in and out of number 10 every day. You know, I've been uh, to the White House a number of times, had lunch in the West Wing with the National Security Advisor. I once attempted to get into the Oval Office um, when President Obama was away by coming out of a bathroom, walking around towards it, because I just wanted to set foot in it. And then Secret Service were like, where are you going? And I put on the most frightfully posh British accent. <laughs> and then there's a lot, oh, no problem, sir, just back here. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. I was like, please don't shoot me. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, you know, you've got to do some, like, crazy things. Um, but, um, and, you know, I was there during the Arab Spring and everything like that. And, you know, got involved in the British response um, for that. So, you know, pretty much exactly what I'd always wanted to do. Did you ever fly into these? Did you actually go to these high-risk places? Well, so in, in that job, um, in that job, not really. You know, when you're, when you're in government, uh, well, I, yeah, I went to Yemen. I went to Syria. I went to, this was pre-Arab Spring, fortunately. Uh, mm. I went to Lebanon. I went to a few places. I, I, I was due to go to Iran. But that was at the time of the 2009 Green Revolution. And um, I was basically due to fly in a week after the election. And then obviously my visa got cancelled because uh, it wasn't an ideal time to go. Um, but uh, And then a lot, I was back and forth to the US a lot, a little bit in Brussels and things like this. But it was actually my next, one of my next jobs that I ended up going to a lot more uh, uh, dangerous places, which are uh, still not quite sure how I ended up doing that. With this role then, what are your biggest stories you know, with the counter-terrorism sort of things, are there any sort of stories that spring to mind that are, you still remember these days? What you can tell without disappearing. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> they're all classified, so like it's, uh, uh, they, they won't be coming out. Like, I suppose the uh, kind of thing of the stuff that you can sort of talk about, I, th- I think, you, you know, really... We, we should have had a few beers before this. <laughs> really. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, I think, around... Um, you know, the, the efforts to bring about the Iran nuclear deal at an early stage, there's some really interesting things around that. Um, but, you know, the Arab Spring obviously was a, was, was a huge thing. You know, we were working 
constantly, you know, you, you read in the press now that Cobra is working and NSC is working things. We, we were basically like, we actually moved from our offices down into Cobra um, and set up our offices in Cobra to be there 24 seven because we were having that many meetings of it. Um, and uh, again, it's one of those funny things where you look back and you're like, I can't believe I didn't do more to sort of log that. Like, you know, I never kept a diary and, and I, I sort of, um, I remember that, you know, you'd, my position is I would basically sort of be one of the minute takers in the National Security Council meeting. Um, and it would be the senior people, two people go in. And you think, oh, God, yeah, you just want to be in every meeting. But minute, taking minutes of these is quite tough. And the writing up, because you have to write them like cabinet minutes. It's very formal. Um, and after a while, you're sort of like, can't bother to do that. I can watch it on the screen from the ante room. And you go do it. You feel it's good. So you sort of like devolve that off. Um, but, you know, just the whole situation, how quickly it was unraveling. I remember when, um, when, when Egypt was falling and Mubarak was um, uh, in trouble. And uh, the, the prime minister, who was David Cameron at the time, was at um, a meeting, I think, in Brussels. Um, and his private secretary was with him. I was in, in the UK, and, uh, in London. And it was happening so fast that I was literally sending uh, messages to the prime minister every like 15 minutes where normally you distill it into these briefings and stuff. But this was just that his private secretary was like, look, just send me like two line updates, two line updates as quick as you can. And I'll just show the phone to the PM because it was moving that quickly and the pace. And, and you know, there's always this discussion about what, um, what, you know, what role we have to play in the world as the UK. And, and, and the West, but ultimately in these situations, you're, you're powerless. You know, you are you're trying to do some influence where you can, but there are so many forces at play, so many things happening. You're just doing your best to keep up rather than sort of advance anything further. I moved to Abu Dhabi in February 2010, so it was just before so a, a lot of the Arab Spring kicked off. Because I remember, I think it was 20, was Libya 2010? Uh, when it started 2011, yeah. Yeah, so there was Libya and, and um, Egypt and, and yeah, I read up a lot. I'm a lot younger then as well, to be fair, but I read up a lot of it back then. And so it must be really interesting obviously being involved in all that. It's stressful as well, I imagine. Yeah, no, no, it's just it's exciting. It, it's busy. Like, you feel very, very important. Uh, like, you're not probably really, you know, you're interchangeable just put someone else in the job. But, um, you know, it's great to sort of see that up front and quite, quite interesting now. I read a lot of these probably a few like nerdy books behind me, like about, um, you know, what's happening in the world and stuff. And you read those and you're reading like, you know, the chief of the defense staff's view of what happened on Libya or David Cam And then you're sitting there going, I don't remember it going like that. I remember that meeting being more this focused and you're like, Oh, it's quite cool to be, quite cool to be, uh, you know, to have, have been involved in some of that stuff. Yeah. So, so you find yourself into a position where it was extremely exciting. It was always on the go. You found, you know, you got into a position that you're very good at what you do. What, what made you want to transition into property from being, you know, counterterrorism? You know, money. Um, I, well, I, I actually, I, no, I, I left the civil service at the end of 2012 because um, there were a lot of austerity going on in the UK government, and effectively that had massively reduced the opportunities. So I was in this unbelievable job. I've been in it for three years. And you sort of can't stay in a role in the civil service for that long uh, or much longer. So I decided to basically move and do something different. And uh, an opportunity came up through some of the work I've done to go work for one of the royal families here in this region, um, basically giving advice on their response to the um, to the um, uh, to the Arab Spring. Um, so you know, it was a huge decision, you know, to, to leave. You know, you're in a very secure job. 
I was earning, I think, £55,000 a year or something, uh, which, you know, but as you age, sounds great when you're young, but as you age and you're living in London, doesn't add up too much when you're seeing your friends earning significantly more. So I, I, I took the risk and I basically went freelancing for, for a year working for, um, working for, this, um, uh, for, for this government um, in, 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 the, in the Gulf region um, and, and was doing that for a year. And then after that was like, I should probably get a real job again. Um, so at that point, I still only really had sort of my skill set of, you know, I was just, I was conditioned. I was like, well, I'm a government person. I work on these type of issues. What else could I do? You know, I was the first person in my family to go to, you know, university, first person I think to do A-levels. Like, I didn't really have much guidance in terms of what you're, what's open to you. I didn't think you could do wholesale career changes. So I basically went into sort of management consultancy, but in the developing world. So I was doing a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, aid projects basically, you know, funded by the World Bank, the British government, you know, wherever it was, um, and, and, you know, public sector governance, you know, local government reform, you know, security sector reform, whatever it was. In, and that was where I was in countries like uh, I did uh, regularly in Somalia, Iraq, Afghanistan, South Sudan were my sort of sweet spots um, and a little bit involved in Syria, but more more of those countries. So I was half living in South Sudan for a while, um, which, yeah, sort of, again, was another segue, um, which, which, which was quite interesting. Um, and again, a different type of skill set. But I think I did that for five years, nearly four or five years. And, and what, actually, in South Sudan? Yeah, so I, I was living in London, but I was basically, all my projects were overseas. So for example, I think in one six-month period, I was basically like three weeks in South Sudan, three weeks back at home, two weeks in South Sudan. Then I was, um, then I'd basically have, I'd, you know, I'd go to Iraq for a long weekend. I'd go to Afghanistan for a couple of weeks. I'd be, you know, back in Somalia. Somalia, I kind of liked. Uh, like it's got really beautiful beaches. Again, different security levels. Really weird. Like you know, in, Af- in Afghanistan, um, you know, we were very low key. So like we'd be in a a Toyota SUV with a driver and you just sit in the back and slump a bit so you're not very visible because the Taliban basically would take the approach of spotting the big armoured thing and trying to uh, pop a magnet bomb on it. Whereas in somewhere like uh, you know, Iraq, you had a three-car armoured convoy. In, in Somalia, you had uh, an armoured car with a, um, with a, with, with a basically a, a little militia force behind you on a pickup truck to protect you. And then in South Sudan, it was basically just driving yourself around. Uh, but the danger levels were so different in each, you know, that you felt safe in some places you shouldn't and felt unsafe in places that you should. Um, but like, again, it was, it was quite cool at times. I had a you know, gun pulled on me in South Sudan once by a drunk uh, South Sudanese guy pretending to be in the army wanting money, um, and I denied that, you know, I don't have any money, don't have any money, all of this stuff. Um, and it was only when he caught the weapon that I was like, here you go, take the cash. I was like, okay. And I gave him, uh, I gave him the equivalent of uh, two, two dollars. Um, and he was yeah, ha- happy about that. I actually had about two hundred dollars on me at the time that I pulled from in the, in the fold, the middle note. And it was like something that he found acceptable. Um, Whereas, you know, he pulled a gun on you for two dollars. Yeah, like look, the, 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 the poverty again, like the poverty in some of these places, you know, in South Sudan, in some of the areas, you know, in, in the capital, you have um, a, a lot of, um, you know, you do have a few roads and things like this, but there's a lot of dirt tracks. When you go out of the capital, I remember going up to a place called Malakal, um, and it was 
just a fascinating place. Like it's just desolate, and people are there. They're just living in mud huts, and you know, like there's, there's, there's nothing. And you know, the, the, the value of, of money, you know, it's on a subsistence living is is just just totally different. Um, and you know, like it's it is fascinating when you're over in these type of countries, um, and the contrast with obviously you know somewhere like Dubai, which is a slightly the opposite. Well, as I say, the, the two, you know, counter-terrorism and all these stories that you have is completely the polar opposite to what you're doing right now with luxury properties. And we had the fortunate to uh, watch some of your videos, which were blown away by. Um, you know, what was, what was the big driver for you to obviously said about, you know, spreading your wings, taking on your own project sort of thing. Was that the main driver for you, taking it another level? Well, I, it was, um, you know, I'd moved over here with that company to set up an office, basically, um, where we were going to do more and more work in places like Saudi and the UAE where I get to wear a suit and you know, not sure. worry about being blown up um, and, and probably earn more. And um, yeah, I met my business partner and we, uh, we got on really well, uh, decided to set this up together. I suppose the thing that drove me was I'd never had some sort of fascination with owning my own business or anything like that. I, I don't think of myself as a particularly entrepreneurial person. Um, I think there's been a couple of pivot points in my life when I've made big jumps sort of, that, that have done that. Um, but, um, you know, I just saw like, I just saw an opportunity to sort of like, I thought we could run this well. And I thought I'd be able to do the job. Well, a lot of people had told me in the past that I'd be very good at at sales, um, because I, you know, got the gift of the gab or whatever. I, I, again, I'd never thought I could get a job in sales. That's not what my background was. It's not what I'd been conditioned to think was a good job and so on and so forth. Um, but you sit and you realize you can earn a lot of money if you're a good real estate agent. Um, you realize that actually it's just about talking to people and convincing people. And that was one of the things I was good at. Um, and, and, you know, being knowledgeable, you know, it's not hard. There's only so many products to learn. Is it exclusively the high-end luxury properties that you do or is it all across the market? Yeah, the, 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 the brand, of course, you know, the, the core of what we do is luxury. So, you know, the, the aim was to create a luxury brand um, that would resonate here in Dubai and globally. Um, and that is the bulk of what we do. That said, uh, you know, we'll sell anything. You know, so like, you know, if you've got a million dirham property, you know, hundred hundred fifty thousand pounds or whatever, you know, we'll sell. It. You know, there's no issue with that. You know, we do rentals in this current market. Of course, you've got to adapt and change and do what's needed. Um, but the core, of course, of the brand is is that it's 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 around luxury products, and that's um, that's where we want the future of the business to be. But, you know, equally, you've got to deal with the clients that you have and, you know, you've got to respond to their needs. So you've got to do everything from selling you know, high-end you know, mansions through to delivering off-plan products for them, giving them good investment advice on their portfolios, doing renovations and flipping, you know, doing rentals and things like that. So, you know, pretty much a whole service brokerage, but just with a very, very pretty brand that sort of, you know, obviously gets a lot of eyes on it. Yeah. Okay. So what's, what's the, if you can share this, what's the highest ticket unit that you've sold? Um, so it was just under uh, $19 million. Um, so it's 69 million dirhams, uh, which, uh, I'm not sure what that is in pounds with the current, um, with the current market. Dollars okay. Probably about 19 million pounds at the minute. Not you know, 36,000 square foot house on like an acre of plots, like, you know, very, very luxurious. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's the biggest, the, the, the smallest, uh, I think was about three or oh no less, uh, 250,000 pounds. So like, you know, sell anything, like, you know, the job is to sell is to deliver deals and like, you know, it doesn't really matter 
what they are, you know, what, what they are. Yeah. Okay. So what, what made you come up with the idea or how did you get into social media to start raising awareness? Yeah, well, look, I was never on it before. Um, I didn't really do much uh, um, uh, so- social media like work-wise before, but I'd, I'd seen what a lot of other realtors were doing, and it, it made sense to sort of try get involved in that. And I think once you are doing it, then it's the case of um, you know you've got to bring out your natural personality within that, um, and and that's that's sort of for me. Like I speak to my team the other day and trying to tell them like you know if you're going to have you know work sort of Instagram. Don't just make it boring like a corporate thing because no one's going to follow that. You know, people follow people. Um, And I think when I went to do my first vlog, I envisaged this sort of quite sophisticated vibe, um, you know, educational and, you know, people would be like, wow, yeah, he's really good. And I ended up jumping on a trampoline and stuff. Like it was like, you you just sort of drift into it. It's like, oh, that's quite cool. And then you just sort of go with it because, you know, I find it funny. So maybe other people find it funny. And it's... uh, and it's different, yeah. Everybody, everybody goes around doing, uh, you know, um, welcome to this property. It's like, yeah, it's just boring, isn't it? So like, you just got to try to make it a little bit more engaging. Yeah, that's what I really like about your videos. Your natural humour shines through on it, and he's, he's. I think it's a very British humour you've got as yeah. well. It's definitely very British, you know. Always one. Have you had any media training? No, no, no. Oh, really? well, I, I, I had media training um, in terms of. You know, I used to work a lot with the with the media in terms of like writing press things and stuff like that, but never in terms of how you do stuff to to camera or something like that. I think um, you, I think it's pretty much you're either natural at doing it or you're not. Um, and you know, like we've got um, one really good, really good real estate agent, um, Liam Jeffrey, who um, I hired because oh, Liam actually because of his YouTube. You know, he was doing this thing. He was in his bedroom in a T-shirt like this, you know, just giving a market update. And, um, and you know, he'd done a couple of tours where he got a bit of production. And I was like, that's really quite cool. And I remember the first time in the office, I was like, right, we're going to do one. And this is what I want you to do. And he was there. And he was basically, he had this script. And he was basically like, kept stumbling after every line. He'll hate me saying this. And in the end, I walked in. I was like, for God's sake. And I screwed up the script and said, you sell this every day. You don't need a script. You know what you're selling. If you, if I, if, if the camera was a client, you wouldn't be stumbling over your wording and things like this. So effectively, you know, he has come on leaps and bounds now. And he's brilliant. Like you watch his videos now. There's great levels of detail. It's got his personality in there. I think I convinced him to take his shirt off and dive into a pool on one of them. Uh, we you know to try and increase his following. Um, so you know, again, it's you have to basically do what suits you. Um, he's very good at you know going on all about the detail of the types of marble and and you know the exact you know specifications of the kitchen and really bringing that to life. Um, I'm not. I'm you know better at sort of like doing something a bit bit more stupid, trying to sort of you know make it all about entertainment with the view that you're still showing the property, you're still showcasing the property, but you're hopefully doing it in a way that someone will remember it more. Um, and you know that's going to be successful. Some people will like it. Some people won't like it. But you know you can't. I think if you're too if you're too bland, no one's gonna no one's gonna watch you. You spoke about your social media and everything. That's getting your personality across that people connect to. Um, you know, with you know your background in the UK and everything else, do you do you think that connects really well to the sort of luxury element of what you sell? Well, it's, what's really weird is you know. My, my entire sort of background was very much behind the scenes, you know, like yeah. never, 
you're never the front person on any of this stuff. You're never allowed to comment publicly or do anything. It's been really nice to be able to actually express your voice and, and, and do things um, that are, are that are more out there. Um, I think you know one of the advantages my background gives me is that I'm very used to dealing with uh, you know not necessarily high net worth individuals, but important people. You know, so like you know we get clients who are very very wealthy. You know, they're very successful, very busy, um, and and you know. For a lot of agents, that's, that can be quite intimidating. You know, they can they can allow themselves to be treated like a member of the staff, um, and you know, and 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 to and you know, and not have the confidence to sort of tell a client no, or tell the client you're being stupid, or this is a terrible decision. Um, I think I, I've got so much experience of dealing with the, the most important people. I don't care if you've got three billion pounds. I've met people more important. Um, and I've spoken to them and had to be honest with them. So, like, there's no, there's no fear of, you know, not being an equal. And I think that, you know, if you are a professional at your job, you shouldn't think of yourself as anything less than you are. Um, you're an expert at what you, you do. And this person might, might be worth a billion dollars, but they're not a real estate. You know, they don't know the Dubai real estate market. You know more than them on this product. Now, don't go and speak to them about their hedge fund. Um, but, you know, on this product, you know what you're talking about. So I think you've got to have confidence. And I think my background has helped um, to, 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 to provide that. You know, for you and your social media and everything you're doing, which is really interesting, we're watching a few videos. Do you model anyone or do you have anyone you are inspired by when you create your content like that? Or is it just, just Andrew Cummings? I'd love to claim it was just me. Uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. But again, I don't think I'm that creative or, or entrepreneurial. I think... When I originally started out, look, I'm a big fan of Million Dollar Listing. I think the show's great. Uh, my business partner, Jason, actually was on one of the seasons in LA selling his house and shouting at Josh Flagg down the phone back in the day. Um, you know, I, I watched that show and it's interesting to see those personalities. You know, I've seen a few of uh, one of the realtors there, Ryan Serhant's vlogs as well. And again, I think when I started, I was sort of modeling myself on, wow, I could be like that. But actually, you know, it just diverged after vlog one. You know, I think the difference is so many realtors, including him, have such an emphasis on self-improvement, on the, the, you know, all this stuff. Everybody is talking about how to, how to you know, have the eye of the tiger and you know, be the best salesman and all of this stuff. And just not me. Just not me. Like, I don't want to talk about sales techniques. I've never had any sales training. I don't know how to sort of, you know, talk about mindset and positivity. It's just... I'm the total opposite of that person. My wife will go on at me about, uh, you know, you've just got to think this way. And I'm like, no, I'm very annoyingly logical and practical. So there's no sort of like, you know, rah, rah, let's all do this stuff. It doesn't work for me. So the direction I went was totally opposite, I think. So whilst there were inspirations in terms of my uh, decision to start doing this, um, I think as soon as I started, actually, I felt that I knew which direction I wanted to go. And it wasn't, it was innovative, I hope, and wasn't really related to anything anyone else was doing. So you mentioned your wife. I know you've also, you also have a seven-week-old daughter. Yes, yes, yes. How's fatherhood treating you? It's good. Um, my wife's actually just walked in over there, so I've got to say everything positive now. I think. Uh, no, look, it's been really nice with this lockdown to have a uh, a chance to be at home more. Um, so, like you know, I. I'm still incredibly busy at the moment. So sort of from the second I wake up until dinner time, I'm, I'm working. Um, and my wife is tremendous in terms of, you know, looking after the baby while, while I'm doing that. And I quite like that after, after dinner, sort of it's my time and I get her till 2, 3 a.m. or whatever, uh, which hopefully is normally her sleeping on me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, 
it, 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 it starts hard, I think. Like, it's, it's really weird. You just suddenly have this human that you've got to look after, and you're like, you know, who are you? Like, it's still really weird that she's got a name. She's just a baby. Like, you, know, you just look at her. Just, I always, my nickname is probably quite cool. I call her Stupid Baby because, like, you know, she can't even lift her head up. She can't do anything. I still oh. find it crazy that even <laughs> has made, you know, your wife loves that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most animals in the world come out the womb and then they're up running, you know, protecting themselves from predators. And, you know, what do our babies do? Just nothing. Like, evolution is weird. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. But, yeah, look, it, 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 it's really good. I'm looking forward to, obviously, as the world opens up, being able to you know, let her meet some people, uh, you know, maybe meet other babies and, yeah. and stuff like that. So that's going to be quite cool. I guess that's an easy question for us to go on to. COVID-19, how are you adapting? What are things looking like for you? Well, look, we, we, we moved very, very quickly to, to remote working. I think, I'm a, again, I'm a nerd. Um, I, uh, I said I did biochemistry. My dissertation, actually, for my undergraduate degree was in the Ebola virus and tropical diseases. So, like, um, I you know, was quite interested in it from an early stage. We switched to working from home very early um, and switched to trying to ensure that we were geared up in terms of our capability to work from home, uh, our capability to do remote viewings, virtual viewings. Um, Look, the crisis is incredibly difficult. You know, as a business and as, as realtors, it's commission-only business. If you can't sell a property or rent a property, you can't earn any money and you've got overheads. Um, so, like, you know, it's putting a tremendous strain on the industry. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, it's still too early, I think, to see what the long-term impacts will be. Um, in many ways, you've seen, you know, huge declines in some parts of the market, but equally you've seen increased interest in uh, in some parts. You know, luxury rentals is through the roof. You know, I've got loads of clients that want to you know, move out of an apartment into a villa, um, you, know, you know, find something with a garden, whatever it is. So there's, um, there's definitely been changes in the trends, and it'll be interesting to see if that tracks through in the long term. Um, Obviously, it's Dubai is a very expat city. It's an international city, and you know, not having those international buyers able to come in. Um, I've got a, a great client who's a, you know, a, a British uh, sports person who was due to come out and uh, now can't. And you know, that's a, a guaranteed sale that's now not going to happen until whenever it happens. So you know, it's it, it's it's very challenging both of in terms of you know, the business and in terms of you. Know, Doing that, but also in terms of you know keeping people motivated. You know, we've got a team. Um, you know, they're they're stuck in their apartments. You know, they can't get out and do viewings. It's very frustrating for them. They're worried about their own money. So you know, as a business owner, you've got a responsibility to try as best you can. You know, keep people motivated, keep people engaged. But you know, it's it's, it's incredibly difficult. But I don't ultimately think that it's any different for us than it is for you know a, a number of different industries out there. So what's the next step for yourself and for the company once we come out of this? Uh, well, yeah, um, uh, good question. You know, like look, we've got uh, at the moment, I think there's a short-term imperative, you know, the second you, know, you can get out there. And even before then, get deals done. You know, we need deals. You know, everyone needs, you know, as a business, we need revenue. As brokers, they need you know, to earn, earn a living. You know, the, the focus has to be, on, to be really structured. And to, to really make sure that we're providing a good service for every single client to make sure that we get those deals over the line. Um, you know, sort of more broadly then, you know, it's, I think, you know, con- continued expansion. Um, you know, we've grown our team hugely. You know, we're now, I think, 25 brokers. Um, you know, I want to, I want to grow that more. Um, I want to 
really start to specialize in, in some of the areas where we're being successful, improve our market share um, in that. I want to continue to establish the brand. You know, we are still, I think we're now getting a good, good track record. We've obviously received a number of awards. We've started to get some prominence, but still we're new. You know, we don't have the name recognition of some of the really big companies. So, yeah, that's a key priority for me is to improve our name recognition. How long, how long has the book been running for? For just over two years. Um, but, yeah, but look, as, as a startup, you know, it was a couple of people in a room, you know, trying to figure it out. It's, you sort of have that first year. We, we did a lot to put in place the building blocks for success. So we didn't, we never sort of actively went out and pushed ourselves because we wanted it to be organic. Um, I think there's opportunities to sort of, you know, really step forward there. But also look at our international portfolio. You know, we market billions of dollars globally on behalf of developers. You know, we work with our agents. We have people in different countries. And that's something that I really, really want to expand upon because there's a huge opportunity. You know, we're the, the most visited real estate website uh, in Dubai after the portal. So there's a lot of debate on this, which I see on online, which I, I, I don't get involved in because um, uh, it's just a bit, a bit pointless. You know, it's only us that can see our Google Analytics and I can see what traffic we get. So you know, we're, you know, we get great international traffic, great buyers coming from that. You know, I'm working with a South African at the moment who wants to buy Mauritius. Um, so like, I'm really keen to you know, continue to build our portfolio of properties from, from uh, the rest of the world. We've just tied up a partnership with one of the biggest uh, real estate brokers in LA. Um, and we're looking to expand that as well. So like, you know, that, uh, that's the thing. I think you know, in, in, internationally, I want to you know, start to establish us as one of the go-to places if you want a luxury home anywhere in the world. Um, and then in Dubai, you know, to increase our market share and to continue to be seen as you know, one of the best people to work with if you're wanting to buy or sell your home. M- million dollar question for you here. If you had your time again, 18-year-old Andrew Cummings, what would you do? Uh, probably lose weight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like get into a gym routine where I can actually stick to, uh, eat less. Uh, there's a reason why I don't. Like, I think like we're not going to go back to work quickly uh, in the office because there is no chance that I can fit into anything that's not elasticated. Um, I am very comfortable in a in shorts and a t-shirt nowadays, and I think that that needs to stay. Um, uh, it's really, really, really difficult. Um, nothing because I just think that like you know, you don't. I, I, I've had great experiences. Like, there's lots of little things that I can change. But like, you know, the, those inflection points that I mentioned earlier. You know, the decision to leave the civil service and move gave me an unbelievable opportunity that I never anticipated would then leave somewhere else. You know, the decision to work for the, for the consulting firm meant that on a flight back from Afghanistan via Dubai, I met what is now my business partner. You know, so like, there's just everything like the sliding doors like have happened has put me in this position to be doing something that I never had any desire or interest. I'd never sat around thinking I wanted to be an estate agent. Good God, like, you know, that was definitely not what the direction of travel. But, you know, this, um, you know, it's ended up having a business that I really love. And I think that if you go back and change anything, um, I think, uh, um, you know, it would, I wouldn't be where I am today. All right. So how do how do, how do our listeners find you? Uh, well, look, first things first, go on luxuryproperty.com. It's very easy to remember the company name because it is luxuryproperty.com. In case you didn't catch it, it's luxuryproperty.com. Um, and then if you are on Instagram, uh, my handle is at Dubai Luxury Broker. Um, so you should be able to find me there. And then you can just look at Andrew Cummings on, on YouTube as well. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not really on Facebook. Uh, I think I do have a TikTok, but I've not started doing that yet. Um, because I don't think I can do all the dance moves that I think seems to be what's in there. 
at Dubai Luxury Broker on Instagram. It's the best way to keep up to date with um, you know what type of properties we're putting up, but also just stupid things where I'm like you know wrapping um, Dr. Dre to my daughter. So like it's a good mixture of uh, content. <laughs> right, okay. I've not seen that video. I'll have a look at that. Uh, right, well, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, all the best. Thanks, guys. Nice. Cheers.